And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the MarTech Podcast, hosted by Benjamin Shapiro. Each week, the MarTech Podcast tells stories of world-class marketers who use technology to create lasting success with their business and their careers. If you like any of these topics, you're going to like the MarTech Podcast how science is changing advertising, how to set up a CRM so you actually use it, private equities take on digital transformation, why big social is focused on newsletters. If these are topics that resonate with you, go check out the MarTech podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can also go listen at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Today, my guest is Sean Finder, founder and CEO of AutoClose. Sean is a serial entrepreneur. At the age of 24, he stepped into the entrepreneurial world and never looked back. He started out importing packages from overseas and selling it to retailers in North America. However, as selling was his passion, he founded the list building company Exchange Leads in 2013. He turned that list building company in 2018 into his second startup called AutoClose, which was a sales automation platform used by now thousands of sales professionals. He sold AutoClose to Vanilla Soft in 2020. So serial entrepreneur, he has an exit under his belt. What we actually spoke about, what we spoke about sales topics and entrepreneur topics. So we spoke about sales automation, building rapport, uh, SDR versus AE splits, win rates, uh, when MQL should turn into SQL, so marketing to sales handoff. So very tactical sales things and how to optimize your entire sales process and when is automation appropriate? When is building personal rapport appropriate? What works better? Can you build a sales team just with automation? Can automation software uh, displace or replace an SDR team? And some of the results that Sean's seen as he's used and ate his own dog food, used his own software. And then we also spoke about some entrepreneurial topics. So we spoke about how Sean closed the deal with VanillaSoft, how that uh, how that deal even came to fruition and some of the items that he was thinking about and he had to navigate when he was trying to incorporate uh, AutoClose into VanillaSoft's team, into VanillaSoft's culture, as well as some of the logistical and tactical things that he had to figure out in terms of closing the deal, the legal, the terms, uh, the valuation, all of these different things that he's done throughout his acquisition process, which is still very fresh because they just were sold off to VanillaSoft in 2020. So we speak about sales, we speak about entrepreneurship. So if you want to build out a sales force, if you want to close more deals, or if you want to figure out how to finally sell a company um, and then be acquired 
This is a great episode. Sean just shares everything. He's super transparent, super candid. So let's jump right into it. This is Sean Finder, founder and CEO of AutoClose. I didn't have to get acquired. Obviously, the, the cash was great to me. So uh, my name is Sean Finder, born and raised in Toronto, Canada. Um, former professional tennis player, gone entrepreneur. So played competitive tennis um, and then did my MBA in finance once I realized I probably wasn't going to make enough money being a professional tennis player. And from there, um, it went in many different directions. I, uh, I went into finance. And what happened was uh, I went in for an interview for a finance job and the person goes, you know, I have a company that's looking for a director of business development and sales. You don't have that experience in your resume, but you're very outgoing and maybe you want to try it. So I ended up interviewing for that role. And uh, I don't know if I was qualified enough, but they were giving me $30,000 more than I was making. <laughs> and I was like, damn, I'll take this job. And what happened was I took that job and that was um, when I came up with my first idea. So your first idea. So you were you t- tennis player, finance, sales. That You just pivoted, pivoted, pivoted. So... Uh, you took your first biz dev director role or, or sales role, um, but not many people, or not everyone rather, just pivots into entrepreneurship. Are you, are you technical? Are you a developer? Or did you just want to build something? Definitely, definitely not a developer. I am more sales, marketing, uh, business development, hustler, grower, growth. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what I did was uh, when I took that sales role, the first week on the job, I um, I purchased a list and I gave it to the sales team that I was managing. I gave them and they're like, Sean, these numbers are terrible. Sean, these emails are inaccurate. And I was actually walking in a little pavilion for lunch with our CTO. And I said to him at the time, I go, I don't understand. I just got this role. We spent $10,000 on all this information that we need for our sales team. And it's all inaccurate. Why don't we just build something that provides less volume, but more accuracy? He goes, well, we can. I'm like, okay. I'm like, it's like, you can build a software. I'm like, okay. He's like, well, my best friend's a coder out in, in uh, Eastern Europe, Serbia. Let's reach out and see what he thinks. And that was actually how I, I went for lunch with my CTO at the time. And then we ended up starting the business and becoming co-founders. And that's how, that's how the first, and that was, okay. So this is not auto close. This is exchange leads. That was exchange I gotcha. leads. Okay. So uh, how did, how did that first the entrepreneurial venture go. So you had a, you had a technical developer, your co-founders, and it was an equity split. Um, did you quit your job and then jump into that? Or did you build this as a side hustle to start? Great question. So the, the year I was still working, what I did was strategically, I hired my lead developer in Serbia. And at that time it was about uh, $1,300 a month. So I would pay him full time. He was the only one working full time. I was working full-time at the same time I was saving up about six months worth of runway. So I said, I'm going to save up a year of salary, try and save up six months worth of rent, food, entertainment, et cetera. And then when I make my first sale, no matter if that's $1,000, $50, $50,000, the first sale when the platform was ready, I was going to quit. And funny enough, the first sale was $49.99. <laughs> But I stuck on my word and I still quit on that oh, day. Shit, I quit man. a job that was paying me $150,000 for $49.99. Dude, the, the balls. 
Like, so you you stuck to your word, man. That's very impressive. Okay, so um, you obviously grew some gray hairs at that point. Um, so after that first forty nine dollars sale, forty nine and ninety nine cents sale, um, how did you yeah. grow the company? What was the game plan? Was this self serve SaaS? Did you go and you know you had six months runway, so I'm, you didn't bootstrap and a lot, um, probably a little bit. Did you go raise money? So we we bootstrapped, but we didn't raise a lot. But this this is what I did as well. Um, we tried to, I tried to grow the company right from the get go. I'm like, this is going to be easy. I sold my first 50. The first week I sold is zero. After that $50, I'm like, I just quit my job and I've only made 50 bucks. I started to have them come in, but I realized it's not going to be like a rainstorm of subscriptions. So I said, forget this. I'm going to keep that going. I'm going to use my connections and I'm going to go after the whales. And what I did was, um, my brother was working in the largest telecom company in Canada. And he introduced me to somebody who then introduced me to about 10 different people. And I ended up getting into a company called Rogers. Rogers is the biggest, it's, a, it's the AT&T of Canada. I think it's the number one or two largest company in Canada. I got in there and within 90 days, I had a appeal for $160,000. A yeah. purchase order for $160,000. And let's just say that let me hire people and gave me my runway for, if I wanted to, for years and years. But that was really the start that um, that I really needed to be successful in that first six months. So you leveraged, so you leveraged your connection, but obviously uh, you had to offer some value. As a as an entrepreneur who sold a hundred and sixty thousand dollar deal, how did you manage? Because I've sold to enterprise. I actually used to work. So I, you don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm actually Canadian. I'm in Fort Lauderdale right now, but I'm originally from Toronto. I used to work for Bell Canada. So I know the I know the nuances of of. My brother's in Fort Lauderdale right now. He moved from Toronto yeah? to Fort Lauderdale. He lives on Las Olas. I'm in yeah. Las Olas. Yeah. Are you serious? So he's right behind the, uh, that's funny. He says right behind the, we can talk yeah, yeah. about that, but he's right behind the cheesecake factory, that new condo. Yeah, building. so maybe we connect after. We can shoot the shit. We go for drinks, go for coffee whenever you're down here. Go for something better than coffee whenever you're down here, man. <laughs> I'm always there. That's always so funny. There. Um. Anyway, so yeah, so I... So you know yeah, Roger. I know Roger as well, but I mean, the, so the point that I wanted to draw out of this, there's a point, not just, not just drinking with you and your brother when you come down to Florida, um, is that uh, it's not easy to sell to enterprise, especially Rogers, which even for 160000 they may have to go to RFP sometimes for uh, just because of the size of the company that they are. And that means a lot of checks and balances. So how did you sell that deal? How did you get a $160,000 PO from Rogers? So... Great question. Basically, they were using, I think it was like InfoUSA, Zoom Info. They were using a few of them, and the data wasn't accurate in Canada at that mm -hmm. point. This is about five, six years ago where um, no one with can, can, uh, with Castle, nobody was really selling good Canadian data. So we actually built a team and manually had it. So I had about 26 people in Eastern Europe that were, Rogers would give me a list of all their accounts that they were working on. And we would find the first name, last name, valid email, LinkedIn profile for those people. And we manually did it one by one. So I had hired 26 people. We would deliver a certain amount per month. And over the year worked out to, you know, over $160,000. And, but we were charging say $2 a lead. So over the year we had to get them 70, $80,000 contact, 70, 80,000 contacts. Mm -hmm. I think it was $2 a lead at that point, 80,000 divided by 12. I mean, we had to provide, you know, six per month. We hired enough people. Um, the labor out in Eastern Europe was very cheap. So our profit margins were very large. And that's how we got in. So there was no RFP. It was, um, I remember um, going in there, meeting with a few people. 
Um, they needed, it was perfect timing. And then uh, I just built that relationship with them. And still to this day, they're not a client anymore, but I still, uh, still talk to each and every one of them all the time that helped me get to that, amazing. That, uh, that first amazing. So it was just, it was just quality. It was just, and you know, that's like so great. It's like the, well, it's like, normally it's the do things that don't scale, which is like, you're not, this is, it's, I didn't know that this was at first a manual effort, right? That really just, you ended up building yeah. out. Okay. So, all manual. All right. So you got that first PO, you have some runway. So when, when does the story with exchange leads pivot into auto close? Another great question. Um, a good friend of mine from my MBA class, um, who was a, a kind of, we met every month for coffee. And at, one day I sat with him in the boardroom. I said, listen, I'm like, I got to think of what's next. Like we're doing well, you know, it's not scaling that quickly, but we're selling data and our clients are all going somewhere else to send emails. So we got to think of what's next. And he was like, at that point, he was like, well, why don't you build the email tool? So you now can offer not only the data, but you can also email from your software. I'm like, that's a good idea. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Leica. Now today, compliance is mandatory for every single technology-powered business, from increasing regulatory requirements to customer uh, security questions, wondering how personal and private data is stored, collected, and kept safe, businesses need compliance to scale and grow. Leica makes the entire compliance process simple. Their platform combines automation with built-in expertise to help companies get certified, close deals, and approach compliance the right way. Leica goes beyond simple integrations. Their platform connects to your everyday applications and applies actual human expertise to a robust software that powers compliance. They easily connect to all of your applications and create tailored policies based on your business. Then compliance experts guide you through automated workflows designed to help you conquer certifications like SOC 2, HIPAA, and GDPR. And Leica is the only compliance solution that offers a true integrated audit solution. No more messy spreadsheets or miscellaneous audit documents. Their team of experts manage your compliance audit from start to finish with full progress tracking in the actual app. And Leica is more than a one-time solution. So after you've set yourself up, maintain 100% that you are always compliant going forward with custom monitors and alerts. Compliance is difficult. It's messy, it's confusing, but it's also a necessity. So we all have to figure it out. And it's hard to unpack the requirements when we don't know what they mean. Or how do we apply them in a certain way that makes sense with our budget and our stage of growth? So this is what Leica does for you. It removes all the compliance headaches. And again, not just software, but you get access to a full team of specialists that do this 24-7, 365. So if you are a business leader and you are trying to figure out how to be compliant, because again, you have to figure it out. Leica is the only software I've ever found, and not just software, a team that fully supports business leaders that are trying to get this done right. So all Success Story podcast listeners get 20% off Leica whenever you sign up, but you have to go visit heyleica.com slash success, and you will get your exclusive deal just for Success Story podcast listeners. That's H-E-Y-L-A-I-K-A dot com slash success to request a demo and get 20% off when you sign up for Leica. Two weeks later, I flew to New York to meet my developers that were actually out of Eastern Europe. They were in New York visiting, a, I think it was Morgan Stanley, their client. And I met them in New York. 
told them my idea and we started that. And while we were growing auto clothes, I funded my new idea with that Rogers purchase order. So I used that money in the bank um, and built my second company by using my first company um, and using all our profits. We, as you know, in Canada, we don't want to pay the government. So we had the choice to either pay a lot of taxes or build a new platform. Yeah. We decided to build smart. a new platform. Very smart. And and that was the first iteration of AutoClose. And this was, so it's, you're still using the same team at this point. So you found developers you can trust, which is actually a huge hurdle for many entrepreneurs. Um, it actually sounds, yeah. yeah. It sounded like you actually didn't have- First developer and you're paying some equity. And I was going to say, it sounded like you didn't even have a lot of trouble finding good developers. Like it sounded, it sounded like you had good relationships day one, which was very, very valuable. A lot tougher now than it was then. I mean, it, we, we found such great talent in Eastern Europe because my co-founder yeah. was from there. Nowadays, it's not easy because everyone's looking for good talent. And even when you started AutoClose, what year did you start AutoClose in? Because even now that market is saturated. There's a lot of 2000, 2017. So we were, we were a little bit late to the game. There was already, um, there are already enough players in the game at that point. They weren't as big as today, but there was at least, you know, a handful of big guys that were already playing in that space before we started. Okay. Okay. So uh, AutoClose, um, you started building it at this point, exchange leads. You're still running that. You got, did you get big wins after the 160 K PO or did you just sort of ride that out till you launched auto close? We had enough to pay our expenses, to pay our salaries, to break even. Um, we're bootstrapped completely. Um, but that, that big PO really helped us with our development of auto close, which was, we knew was going to be our big one because we had the, we, what we had differently in the market was we had the database and the email platform where most people have either mm -hmm. one. We had it all inside. One. Okay. So walk me through the, the launch of AutoClose because that's a self-serve SaaS product or software product. Um, yeah. Did, did you, uh, I guess, use the, use the services or I guess the resources you had for exchange leads? You brought that into AutoClose. You never exited exchange leads, did you? No, so Exchange League was always the parent company, even when we launched AutoClose. Okay. Um, but we kind of, we moved the data from Exchange League into AutoClose. And once we converted over, we really only sold AutoClose. We had a few subscriptions in Exchange League. But what we did was we just moved them into the AutoClose platform and said, hey, you still can get what the data you had from Exchange League, but now we're going to give you the email for mm -hmm. free. So when we launched AutoClose, we did have a huge, huge database of people that were either clients, interested, we're part of our newsletter. So when we launched it, we had, uh, I think it was the first two months, there was two of us selling. And I think we were doing 18 hour days of demos nonstop. Like we could not get off our computer because uh, we couldn't hire quick enough. I, so I remember I started calling friends of mine that were working full time at the banks downtown in investment banking. I mean, listen, you got to help me. I don't have enough people like just come after work to the boardroom and just start doing demos. I'll teach you the product one night. I'll pay you the commission if they sell. We couldn't get enough. We couldn't get people quick enough to to um, for the first three months. Then it slowed down. Obviously. So even walk me through. So the first three months, um, even uh, just to put it in perspective, how many customers did you did you capture in the first three months? You can even talk. You can talk money if so you we want, were, but I, if you don't want to, just customers. Yeah, that's how. We, I mean, we broke. We were broke break even. So I spent about a uh, hundred thousand dollars on development of articles originally. Originally, um, the first first kind of version of it we broke even within 90 days um and what we did was we did AppSumo, which really gave us a boost um, so if anyone doesn't know AppSumo was a is a company that does lifetime offers lifetime deals 
So we ended up making, I think off AppSumo about 40 grand just in that week. Um, and those were tough customers, but they do give you a lot of good feedback on your, so we made feel 40 K there, 60 K. And then it just, you know, it just kept rolling our, um, myself. I was doing a lot of the sales myself. Um, I had a good friend of mine who left, uh, he left the iBanking world to join because he wanted to get out of that um, in Toronto. Joined me. It was a great seller. So he was selling for me uh, till about, uh, till the acquisition actually. Um, so we had two of us that were really driving all the sales. And actually two of us throughout most of the three years were bringing in 85% of the revenue. Okay. Amazing. That's, so that's, that's how auto close got off the ground. And, and I would just like, if you tell everybody what problem auto close is solving. And then I also want to follow up with how did you, you mentioned a few strategies to take it to market, but how did you differentiate? Because you did mention you were late in the game. So what's auto close for people that don't know or aren't in sales or whatever. Um, and what problem does it solve? So auto close is a sales engagement platform that has a built in B2B database. Therefore, if you're looking for top of the funnel prospecting, um, but you also need cold contacts, we have both all in one under one umbrella. Uh, we let you automate a lot of those tedious tasks a salesperson hates doing. Um, so strategy-wise for, for growing, so AppSumo was one. Another one we did, which was great, um, and podcasts weren't that big back then, which I would have done if I was doing it, but we did a few eBooks. And what we did in those eBooks was we made sure that we had the top salespeople in the world in our eBooks. So we built, I think our first one was called 673 Years of Sales Experience in 56 pages. And what we did was we had the top 30 salespeople, as Google said, in the world, ask them questions and put a profile of them in the book. So when the book launched, we had now 30 people shipping to their network, to their newsletter, everything about autoclose. It got us a lot of traffic and it got us a lot of leads and demos because now we made the ebook, but we've also got 30 different huge networks of tens of thousands of people emailing people about autoclose and downloading the ebook and giving us those emails, et cetera. So that really helped move the needle um, and differentiating ourselves from our competitors. Um, in the space, outreach and sales loft were the enterprise. We focused SMB. So we went up against a lot of companies that were based out of Europe. And I made it myself that I wanted to build on my personal brand in North America, where I'm from. So I was big on LinkedIn, big on posting, big on LinkedIn lives, big on webinars, would have been big on podcasts, but <laughs> didn't have one back then. Um, but did all those different things to continue working on my brand. And to be honest, it's my personal brand that year over year that continues to drive those leads. It's just, I can go and speak at an event, speak at a conference, and people have listened to me. And as long as I'm continuing to provide value, they continue to come to us. Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about sales engagement and sales automation. So, auto close, yes, it's it's a database. Everyone can wrap their mind around that. But the the really the 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 I guess the the one thing that really can help leverage you know give leverage to a sales rep is the fact that they can automate some of their sales process, some of their sales engagement. Yeah. Um, have we? have we gone too far to maybe automate too much or, or, or what's the, what's the, like the happy medium? Like where does auto close fit in? Where can you overuse auto close or similar products? Like what, what does the current sales environment look like when everybody's trying to do more with less? 
Well, I think the biggest peop- the biggest mistake people make with automation in general is they keep everything so long and not personalized. You could write an automated email and make it feel like it's a one-to-one email. And you can make it very short. Like, for example, I want my goal earlier this year in the first six months was I want to be on 30 podcasts as a guest. Why? Because it gives good SEO and backlinks mm-hmm. for our team. I actually wrote 30 of the top sales podcasts and I wrote them all in email and it was very personalized with who I've been on, et cetera. And all 30 replied almost and said, yeah, I'd love to have you on the show. And everyone thought it was a one-on-one email. So it all depends on if you're being salesy or are you being genuine and actually um, being personable. So I think that's the key. Now, yes, you do need to have not automate everything, but you can do certain things like on LinkedIn, for example. I love to do email campaigns and multi-touch campaigns, but then go on LinkedIn and put a true comment on that person's post on how I feel about what they posted. So then when you send them those emails, they don't actually ever think it's an automated system, even though I do use the email for the automation, but I do use my social selling and I do all that myself. So I do a kind of a mix and match, but uh, people that just, just rely on you know the automation and write long emails selling your product. My name is Sean. I'm a company ABC. I can help you with A, B, and C. It doesn't work. Do you think that with a tool like this, the because in, in classic in classic sales organizations you have like an SDR a sales development rep and then like an account executive and SDR is doing you know appointment setting and whatnot and then account executives jumping on the call maybe doing discovery maybe just maybe even just doing demo if the SDR is doing discovery do you think that uh, with tools like auto close you still need that setup or is there a new way to set up a sales organization? So we still use that setup. So SDRs are using more of the email okay. tools. Uh, they're using LinkedIn, they're using the tools, they're using multi-channel, the phone, the SMS, and all that stuff. The AEs are using less. Um, and- I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Feedback Loop. Now, if you're a product person, entrepreneur, startup guy like me, you have at some point in your career tried to take a product to market, you've tried to come up with a new idea, and it's fell flat. It's ultimately failed. 85 to 90% of all new products, of all new startup ideas, fail. Why is this? Basically, it is really hard, really expensive, and really time-consuming to validate product market fit with your potential consumers or customers. Old-style market research is way too slow, too complicated, too time-consuming for dynamic, fast-moving teams that want to build great stuff. But what if you could test out your idea, your product, with your target consumers whenever you want before you invest in the money, time, energy, effort that it takes to actually develop a product? Well, that's what startups all the way through to Fortune 500 are using Feedback Loop for. You get quality feedback from your target customers early and often. Feedback Loop is the test before you invest product research platform. It has built-in expert templates for concept testing, user discovery, prioritizing features on your roadmap, and much more. You can create your own test in minutes and get quality insights from your target consumers in hours. They've set up a special link for everybody who's a Success Story podcast listener to test it out, to try it. Go to go.feedbackloop.com slash success. You get three free tests. That's go.feedbackloop.com slash success. You can try it out for free. You get three free tests. So if you want your next product, idea, or feature to be a hit, test before you invest, build based on data, not opinion and launch with confidence with Feedback Loop. Check it out right now. Unless there's an update they want to give a certain client base on something that's going on or a feature release, 
But the SDRs really need the automation tools just because then they can get more prospecting for that top of the funnel where I think the account executives need to be more personable. They need to build those relationships. That's, you know, finding out that Scott lives in Fort Lauderdale and after this podcast, talk to him, oh, do you know this yeah. restaurant? Do you know this restaurant? Where have you been? Where do you live? You have to still do that as an AE to build those relationships. But I think at the SDR level, um, you have to automate as much as possible because you need to be getting those touches in. One thing I was, I was, I'm taking some notes because I was listening to some other podcasts that you were on and you spoke about uh, sales win rates and why are we accepting, for example, like a 20% win rate? Speak to me about targeting, qualifying, how, how do we make sure that we still target and qualify properly when we're using an automated system? I guess it's like good data in equals good stuff out and, and, and the opposite is true as well. So walk me through that. It's, it's, it's that and it's you no know, making sure you have accurate information in general. I mean, you know, for example, if I want to reach out to um, sales engineers, that's my target market or my buyer yeah. persona or my ICP, you want to make sure that you're not sending that, you're putting that in the message, but you also know for sure that that's a sales engineer. Because you don't want to be sending a message to a sales engineer that might be a director of sales or a national sales manager. Um, so having the right information is very important. And you, I mean, there's different strategies you can do to keep it very personal. One of the ones I love, and it worked really well, was I used video. But I had a webinar where we had 540 people, but we had 26 people that were named Michael. And I just did a video saying, hey, Michael, I just want to thank you for coming to the webinar yesterday, your input and et cetera. And Michael received it thinking it was one-to-one, -one, but it was an automated video that was sent to 27 Michael. So you can be a little strategic mm -hmm. with the automation, um, but the key is personalization. You need to make that prospect feel like it's a one-to-one, -one, even if it's not. And with win rates, you're going to get a higher win rate, A, if you can get the emails first delivered then you have to get them opened and then you have to have them click to reply. So I know there's a lot of people that say, oh, I, this is a funny story actually. I had a client call me and said, Sean, I hate your tool. I have a 0% click rate. And I'm like, well, let me see what you wrote. I go to his content. He's wrote the email, but there's actually zero things you can click. <laughs> like there was nothing to click. There wasn't a Calendly. There wasn't a website. There was nothing. And he was so mad. So you have to also... Know your audience. Um, we work with small companies, so we find that sometimes happens. But your content is most important. Obviously, accurate data is uh, is up there as well. And and I, what I'm trying to what I'm trying to bring out is for for a larger sales team, these are these are tools that you can use to scale your SDR force. But also, um, one point that I thought was really interesting was that uh, even for an SMB that's looking to scale a sales organization, the CEO can use tools like this in place of hiring a $50,000, $60,000 SDR. 100%, and that's, that's what we've done. Um, we, we, we've tried to do the AEs where we can pay them a very, very good salary. With our price point, now that we're moving up, maybe it's more likely now, but when we first started, we couldn't. So you need to, what I like to say is, you need auto close or any sales again platform to be a five person team, feel like a 50 person army. So what we did was each person has multiple accounts. I was be sending an email. Everybody in the company is sending out emails. People are sending them on my behalf. You can create different emails. You can have, you know, Sean at autoclose.com, Sean.finder at autoclose.com and sfinder at autoclose.com all sending emails and then having them forwarded to one. So there's a lot of different things you can do, but as a small company, everyone's got to be wearing different hats and everyone's got to be involved in that prospecting. And 
and also in that uh, that engagement. So you've basically uh, like you've democratized uh, building out like a sales team with with like just a piece of tech and and you know just knowing best practices. Like now you have the data, you find you now you target your ICP, your buyer persona, you set up uh, some email sequences, you know the subject lines that open, you know the copy that converts, and then you've just democratized everything. So now anybody can just launch like a huge campaign even if you're just a, a founder plus one salesperson or you know any iteration of, of, of a very small startup that's very that's a great that's yeah. great okay so and we've seen so many emails so we know how many words should be in the subject line how many words should be in your body paragraph how many follow-up emails you have for a cold email sequence versus a warm email sequence we've seen millions of emails we know what works what doesn't we know what the biggest mistakes are all by just analyzing the data can you well. can you for listeners can you walk through some best practices um some of the data points that you just touched on like can you walk through like a best subject line uh, how many emails in an email sequence um what points to personalize so that they can take that back and just try and and, and sell better via email because i think i think even you know they use a tool or not a lot of people miss the mark on this yeah no so subject line, most important is three, four, five words max. We actually had somebody on our, we were analyzing that had 14 words on the subject line. And the reason why you want to have three to five words is simple. 67% of people are reading their emails on their mobile device. They're only seeing three of your words on their mobile screen. So if you don't have those three words in, in the subject line that are the most important, they're not going to read it. So having something, a long sentence or you know, can we have a call? Not worth it. The number one subject line that actually works would be, hi, Scott. Just hi, first name is actually the number one. Another one that works might be Sean plus Scott, but very personalized, you know, you know, uh, following up. Qu two words, you know, um, quick call, very short and simple. The whole point of a subject line is get them to open the email. Now, the biggest mistake people make in their body paragraph is a they make it too long your first email should be about 75 words and your follow-up email should be about 50 words if you're sending an email that's over 75 words it's way too long the other biggest mistake people make on body paragraphs is as i mentioned earlier it's called the three second rule the first three seconds of what you write if you write hi sean i'm the founder of auto close and i can help you with sales engagement Boring, not going to work. A, they already know my name is Sean because my email is seanautoclose.com. They already know my company's name because seanautoclose.com is my email. If you said something like this, Scott, if I was able to double your open rates and also add 10 meetings to your calendar, would you give me 15 minutes? Question mark. And then go into someone you've helped before, how you can show the value, etc. But you try and hit them with, I call it with a pain point in that first line and don't talk about yourself. It's like, I was telling, if you're going on a date with a girl, whoever, and you're going to talk the entire time, you're probably not getting the second date. It's the same with emailing. Keep it short and sweet. Let them do the talking. You give them the first three seconds, let them talk about themselves. That's what works. Um, and follow-up emails, cold emails, six, eight, sometimes 10. Warmer emails, five to seven is the range that I like to work with. And do you include, um, when, when you run campaigns now, do you include cold calling? Do you include LinkedIn DMs? Or are you still very heavy on, on just running an email sequence? So we have not, because our team is out in Serbia and 
it's tough. The phone is a little tougher for them. Most of our team, we've only implemented email and social and LinkedIn. So we email, we then add them as a connection on LinkedIn. We send them a message and then we do another email. And then we'll do like, I call them intangible touches, which could be comment on Scott's podcast. Read, go to listen to one of Scott's podcasts and give them your feedback as a comment. Like Scott, endorse Scott for podcast as a skill. Something like that where they don't have to really reply to it, but they see in their newsfeed, Sean Finder just sent you a comment. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. HubSpot is the leading business CRM. Now, creating a legacy business starts with investing in sustainable, scalable tools. HubSpot is the number one CRM for starting, growing, and scaling businesses. With the HubSpot CRM, you have a purpose-built solution that's tailored to your business and your business alone. Now, I've used HubSpot for many years now, but just this year, they're releasing some new features. These are some of the ones that I'm definitely most excited about. So first new feature is called business units. So business units allow you to confidently manage contacts, marketing, and sales assets and settings across multiple brands, which means clearer insights to empower whatever it is you're trying to do. There's also new admin features like permissions, templates, and OKTA integration which makes it easier than ever to add, remove, and edit users, give them the proper missions as needed. And lastly, a new HubSpot feature that's rolling out is called Sandboxes. So with Sandboxes, all admins have access to production-like accounts, allowing them to test, iterate, and experiment with new go-to-market strategies, campaigns, before they actually push them live. This is a game changer because now you can actually see what works in this sandbox environment, very similar to what a developer would do in a pre-prod or a testing environment. If you want to learn all about HubSpot's latest features, some of the new features I just spoke about, you can customize your CRM platform as well as learn about all these new features and all the old legacy features as well at HubSpot.com. Scott, Sean Finder just liked this, Scott. And then when Sean Finder read messages Scott in an email, Scott would be like, man, I've heard five times in the last week, Sean. And they answer the email. Okay, okay. So you've you've built out and you you exited to Vanilla Soft. So this is, you know, there's more, there's always more than, than one way to do anything. And I think that's really the, the yeah. way that I want to, the thing that I want to pull out from this. So yeah, like you can have sales orgs that do cold calling. You can cold call, you can pick up and dial, but there's other ways to successfully scale a sales organization based on the resources you have. And you're like, you're living proof of that. So let, next point in, in your story, um, you built auto close up. You sold it to Vanilla Soft. Uh, walk me through that transaction and and what's the, what is the partnership with Vanilla Soft look like? What are they trying to achieve? Perfect. Well, uh, first off, I wasn't even looking for an acquisition, so I wasn't even looking to get acquired. I was actually at a conference. A Vanilla Soft booth was ten feet away. Um, the CMO at the time, uh, Daryl Prell, came over, talked to me, said, "Oh, we must we 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 do." very well with phone and SMS, but we struggle a little bit with email. And I said, well, we only do email. And then the next day the CEO came, uh, this was in uh, Ottawa. Um, CEO came to our booth, looked at it and goes, are you looking to get acquired? I'm like, well, no, <laughs> but I'm always willing to listen. And then we talked for about a week. We sent them, we sent them over non-disclosures some due diligence and uh, medicine Toronto went through some numbers. And um, it's interesting because at first, 
you know, we got a, you know, like every negotiation, we got a number that I was like, oh, I'm not selling for that. And um, that was the start. So that was kind of the floor. And then I came back and said, well, I'm not selling unless it's lead, unless it's this, which is the yeah. ceiling. So we got the floor and the ceiling in there. And then, you know, you each try and push as close to your number as possible. And that was about 11 months of pushing. Uh, two months during COVID, we actually just didn't talk because we were so far apart. And uh, we just kept staying in touch. We kept growing our company. COVID actually helped AutoClose because people left the phone, left the office and needed an email platform. Um, and then um, October of 2020, so we are about nine months, uh, nine months now, um, 10 months actually, um, we got acquired by VanillaSoft. And the plan is to turn um, into more multi-channel, to take A, our team, B, our data as a good play for them, and C, um, put our email and integrate it into their um, platform where they're already, they're already really, really good at phone, SMS, and some other stuff. So you, you're, you're, fre you're fresh off of this negotiation. So for anybody that does have a start as an entrepreneur, do you have any advice for them who, <laughs> to negotiate a, a successful exit? Any, any tips? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you just need to make your podcast 10 hours, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. well, no, it's good because I don't usually talk to people that are this fresh out of an exit. I'll tell you. It's an experience. Um, so we had a co-founder myself. There's a lot that goes into it. A lot of like I come from an MBA in finance, so I kind of knew a lot of it. But um, some recommendations. Um, we were in growth mode always, so our numbers were never audited. Um, we never had our financials updated like regularly. We had stuff. We had car expenses in a food expense column, yeah. and they look for absolutely everything. So that would be the first thing: is keep your book up, keep your books up to date. Because you'll never know when an acquisition is going to happen. Number two um, was working capital. A little bit of a surprise at the end. I knew what working capital was. But if anyone doesn't know what working capital is, how that works is for a SaaS company like us, we get paid up front. So if I sign people up for an annual contract, we get paid that today. But we still have to supply that annual contract from today until you know next 2022. But when you get acquired, I've been paid the money but the new company now has to provide the service to keep them happy for the year that they've already paid me. So all that money and that working capital money actually goes to the new company and gets taken off the purchase price. So that number for some of us, you wouldn't think it's a lot, but for us, it almost worked out to half a million dollars. So it was a lot of money that I knew what it was and knew it was coming. Didn't think it was as much as it was. So that was a big surprise. Um, Another tough thing was keeping it a secret from all the team members and everyone that was in my team that we're so close with. And we let them know like a week and a half before. And, and, you know, one of the mistakes that we did, not a mistake, but we sold the company on September 30th. I started working for the new company October 1st. So there was no break. It was just like, well, now I'm an owner and now I'm a sales general manager. Yeah. So it was like, it was a, just a lot. Um, and then lastly, I would say a recommendation is, um, negotiate your salary. If it, if you have to stay at that company, negotiate your salary early on. Cause what happens is when you get to the last in the end and you're already in for, for us at that point was like $40,000 just in legals. There's certain things for, to, to negotiate a salary for an extra five, $10,000 is going to be tough when you, you know, you don't want to walk away from the deal cause you're already deep in the hole with, uh, with all the legals. Yeah. So a lot of different missing pieces. And if anyone is going through it right now and listening to the podcast, um, send me an email, book a time with me. I'm more than happy to share my experience and 
and give my recommendation. Yeah, that's that's good advice because I think that's something that also there's something that a lot of like you know there's a there's a fraction of founders that are currently actively going through a uh, an acquisition that I probably have access to. And even then, like even if you went through it like five years ago, I feel like for some people, like it's you know it's it's done, it's settled, and it's not top of mind anymore. So I just appreciate the the insight because. It's very, it's very, you know, recent and relevant for you. Um, and, and how did you, yeah. and did you have the opportunity to bring over the team as well? Or did you have to? So one of my things and part of my agreement with the acquisition, the only way I would get acquired and people love this is if every single person had a job. So I said, my team's been everything. My team got me to where we were and we've become a very tight knit group. We're all good friends now. We've known each other for many years. I did not let them get rid of one person. And part of the acquisition on their half was they wanted the team. We had about 30 people, 32 people, but we were, we had an amazing team. Very smart people, a lot of Eastern Europeans, hard workers, great people. So part of the acquisition was um, we are all or nothing. You get us all or you get none of us. And and was there was there issues integrating into um, Vanilla Soft's culture? How did you, how did you manage yeah. that piece? So... So David's built a very good culture there. David Hood, he's the CEO of Vanilla Soft. Um, and, but it's tough when you bring 32 people, people from Europe, from Canada, from the US and everyone into one place. Early on, we had, you know, there were some difficulties. I remember one instance where we had like a Slack channel and we were announcing everyone's birthday and saying happy birthday, but we forgot to put all the people from the AutoClose team's birthdays in there. So we were missing all the people's birthdays and people were like, well, everyone gets happy birthday for Vanilla Soft, but nobody gets it for Autoclose. So we had like cultural stuff like that early on. I would say it's we're nine months in now and we're starting to really feel as one team. Um, but it did take a while. Um, but but as I said, David, um, who is a very, um, uh, he's a CEO that's involved with many different ways with our team. He was an absolute uh, gem when it came to making sure our team felt at home, making them feel comfortable, uh, making sure they felt secured. Uh, he did a great job. How, and how do you, how do you, I guess, maintain the vision of the company after you hand over the reins? Was was David? Uh, was he wanting you to just basically run this unit within the company, or did you feel like now, nine months later, there's conflicting opinions as to where the company is going to go? I think there is there is conflicting opinions. Um, Early on, it was just, I was running with it, but I think um, as every CEO, you know, David's a CEO, I'm a CEO, um, everyone has difference of opinions with how you should scale, um, you know, because Vanilla Soft's been around for 17 years. Yeah. They've done an amazing job. They grow year over year. They, they're, they're very they're profitable. Where we were only a few years old. So the way you, you handle a company that might be 17 years old and a company that's two years old, where a company 17 years old might be let's focus on branding where a two years old is like, we need to focus on just growth. Um, there's a little bit of conflicting views, mm -hmm. um, but we actually, funny enough, we had a, a call, like meeting in person two weeks ago to discuss those views. And I think we're getting on the same track for where we want to see for the next one to three years, but definitely have different views on how to scale, how to hire. Um, and it's something that, um, you know, just every organization will go through. Yeah. But something we can definitely work work on. So okay, so that's amazing. So um, I want to I want to ask some rapid fire questions to pull some insights from your career and in, in, in your life uh, before we pivot into that sort of session round, whatever you want to call it. Um, closing thoughts on uh, so three points. What's next for you? Closing thoughts on some more insight or best practices for email or sales that we didn't touch on, 
And then where do people reach you? So social and email. Perfect. So what's next? Uh, currently part of our deal, uh, I am there for 18 months. So we're halfway there. It was a cash equity deal. So I have do I do have incentive to stay thereafter. Um, the goal is to stay there and hopefully at some point either raise money or have an exit ourselves. So um, no other plans, but, you know, helping Vanilla Soft and helping that boat continue to sail. Um, other tips uh, for email is just um, be in between annoying and persistent. <laughs> if you're not in between there and you're just annoying, you're going to be annoying. If you're just persistent but not annoying, you're not persistent enough. So you have to be in between persistent and annoying. Um, and where can people find me? I'm always on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, I just started our own podcast called the Zero to Five Million Podcast. So we do some podcasts with Ollie. Yes, and we'll probably have yeah with Ollie. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have a podcast. Uh, LinkedIn is a great tool. Or as I said, you could email me Sean S H A W N at autoclose with a K dot com. Email me any questions. I love talking about exits, acquisitions, and sales in general. And for anyone that's you know listening in Scott's audience. Um, I'm more than happy to jump on a call with you for 10, 15 minutes. If you're going through an acquisition and you have some questions about um, things in the contract or in the agreement, more than happy to help you. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. And thank you for the offer. That's, that's very valuable. Um, okay. So biggest challenge that you've had to overcome in your career. Biggest challenge I've had to overcome in my career is, is probably happening right now is where you get acquired and it's like, it's great. You have a lot of cash. You have a lot of things going on, but it's like, what's next? Um, so that's the thing I kind of think about right now is like, it might be two years down the road, three years down the road. I don't know when it'll happen, but at some point I'm going to start something else. Yeah. And it's like, like, what do you do next? What's next? That's my biggest challenge. That's a good challenge to have. That's a, that, see, that's a fun, that's a fun mindset to be in because if you're entrepreneurial, like, you know, you just keep building. And actually that's something that I've noticed across a lot of people that exit, like, they could exit. Doesn't matter. It could be like a million, ten million, a hundred million. Like they could exit at any level, and they'll most of them will just take some time, but then just start building again. Doesn't matter. Like the money yeah. doesn't matter. Well, I, I, I always say, I always say to myself, my most successful business will be my next one. Yeah, good. I love that quote. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, pick one person. Obviously, there's been multiple, but pick one person who's had an incredible impact on your life. Uh, who was that? And what did they teach you? So the person, uh, this is, he's probably in his eighties, maybe mid eighties. Now I worked before my MBA, I know right after my MBA, I worked for a, a manufacturing company here in Toronto out of Vaughan and his name was Louis Waxberg. Um, and they actually do, um, I work for them. They do all the private label hand sanitizer, shampoo and conditioner for, for you name it, Kroger, Walmart, Costco, everywhere. And he taught me everything about business how to write business emails, how to be respectful, how to work with Europeans, how to work with people in, in Asia, um, how to negotiate. Uh, he was a big mentor of mine. Um, I worked with him for three years. We became friends after. He's, he's, he's got to be late 80s now, and he's still one of the smartest people, sharpest people I've ever met in my entire life. Amazing. Um, a book or podcast that you'd recommend people go check out? Well, yours, of course, but uh, besides that, um, a book, I love it. Um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Uh, it's a negotiation book, amazing book. I've read it twice. Um, you need to do negotiations, not only in business and sales, but you need it for, I just bought a house. I need it in house sales, you need it for car dealers, you need it for everything. So 
know your negotiation, learn your skill, learn the floor and the ceiling and learn how you can keep creeping it up towards that ceiling for you. I love that. Okay. Um, if you could tell your uh, 20 year old self one thing, what would it be? Not many people will understand this one, but you probably Scott will. And I wish I never rented a condo here in Toronto and I bought a house in my early twenties because let's just say I probably could have retired by now if I would have yeah. bought a house instead of rented in downtown Toronto for many years, oh. because our my houses God. that cost $300,000 years ago are now worth $3 million. So that was my biggest mistake. Scott. You didn't have to work. You just had to live in a home for 10 to 15 years max. And you would have been a millionaire, multi-millionaire. Yeah. Toronto, it, Toronto it, is it, an insane so, real estate market. Just it's so funny. So one of my good friends is a mortgage. He does mortgages, yeah. mortgage broker. And I've built two companies. I've worked my ass off. I've worked sales up. I made six figures every year since who knows, 2013. He, he had more money than me for so long because he just bought a house in Aurora and had another house he was renting, but had two houses that both made him millions of dollars and he never had to even he he woke up at eleven o'clock and went to bed and was done by two o'clock every day, but he had real estate which made him not have to work. Yeah, that's uh yeah, listen, man. But I'll tell I'll tell you something. You are you are more recession proof. So that's all that matters. That's all. <laughs> exactly recession proof. Exactly. Um, and last question: What does success mean to you? So success means to me, and 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 people, I I I when I can make and help out the people that help me be successful. So success to me with auto clothes was. I didn't have to get acquired. Obviously, the, the cash was great to me. But what it was for my co-founders and my developers was I got three people enough money to buy their first house. And that was success to me because for me, I wasn't worried about what I was going to do. And I always know I'll always go out and make more money and do stuff. But I got three people, one who moved from Serbia here. He took a job with us. I gave him some options. He worked with us from day one, Veteran Rastic, and office acquisition, um, you know, everyone. My, my entire leadership team ended up buying their first house. Um, and as you know, as we talked about, real estate here is tough. And they each bought their first house with the acquisition. That's what success was to me. I didn't care about me buying my house. I worried more about my team buying their house. Amazing. That's amazing, man. All right. That's all I got. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. 
efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. 
This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 